Welcome to Talking Business and Life with Claudio Relsano and Steve Mancini. Claudio and Steve will share their business and life experience to help you grow your business and improve your life. Here's Claudio and Steve. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to Talking Business and Life with Claudio Relsano and Steve Mancini. I'm Claudio Relsano. And I'm Steve Mancini. We have a very special guest today, William Kai II. He is a graduate from Duquesne Law School, opened his own practice in 2000. Uh, prior to have his own practice, he worked as an assistant district attorney, trial clerk, trial counselor, deputy and senior deputy attorney general, a professional counseling company, business development. He wears all kinds of hats, as we talked before the show, and he's also on the executive board of the Western PA Sports Hall of Fame. He's also with the Italian Sons and Daughters of America as well. Bill, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. All right. Now, tell us, I always like to start off with, tell us about the 17-year-old Bill Kai. What were your goals and dreams? Uh, I was at uh, St. LaSalle uh, Catholic High School in Brookline. Um, I was a two-sport athlete, National Honor Society member, and I had had uh, family influence uh, through my mother. She had worked in a legal community for a law firm that helped people that got injured. Um, her father had passed in an industrial accident, and the law firm of Jim McArdle, a prominent Duquesne law alumnus, changed the life of that family. They came over from Italy and wanted the American dream, and now they were left uh, fending to try to make ends meet without the, the patriarch of the family. That law firm was at the time uh, ahead of its time, and many of the people that worked there are considered some of the best and finest legal trial lawyers, mostly in the civil area of law for injured people for years. And now some of their former employees and, and attorneys had started their own firms, the Feeney uh, Law Firm in Pittsburgh, the Harrington Law Firm in Pittsburgh, the Caroselli Beachler Law Firm in Pittsburgh. It was early on when I was going to work uh, when my mom returned to work, she was raising my brother and I in, in Brookline with my father, who was an iron worker. And I would go down there and I would listen to the lawyers dictate and bring in, you know, people that they represented and prepare them for depositions or trials. And then I would have occasion to go and see some of the lawyers actually in court and try cases when I was off school in the summertime. So it was at that point that I knew that I wanted to be a trial lawyer. I just sort of gravitated towards wanting to help people the way I respected the way those lawyers treated my family, my mom's family in particular. Then my mom sort of retired from that law firm and, and spent time with my brother and I as we went through uh, school from Our Lady of Loretto in Brookline all the way to Seton LaSalle. And then I continued at Duquesne University, again, another Catholic school. Mm -hmm. Um, the reason that I chose Duquesne, I received a, an academic and athletic scholarships to attend there, and I played baseball in the early, uh, late 80s, early 90s. And it was Division One, but it wasn't like the primary Division One. We played in the Atlantic 10 Conference. 10, yeah. And a lot of the, the time that we played, we used Moon High School. We used Riverview High School. So we didn't have an on-site uh, facility. We traveled a lot. We played a lot of the smaller schools around here had a great rivalry with Pitt and West Virginia. 
and George Washington, uh, Penn State, but we never sort of made it to the, the postseason. So after my sophomore year, I had finished clerking for a Justice Larson at the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, and I kind of really knew that I was at a crossroads, that I wanted to be in the law full-time. So I took the year off. I didn't play Federation ball that year. My dad said, well, what are you thinking? And I said, well, I hope you're not going to be disappointed, but I want to get on with my life's work. I was also a two-sport athlete. I played basketball. And at the time that I was sort of thinking about hanging up baseball, uh, Bill Neal, who was uh, running the Connie Hawkins Summer League, had me out there and I was playing and keeping my own with the Division One players. And he goes, well, how could this be? Why aren't you playing? I go, well, because I want to be a lawyer. I want to go to law school. And he goes, well, we can find something for you to do maybe over in Europe if you're interested. And I just – I didn't see the path either way. Eventually I wanted to be in the court, not on the court. And so that's what I did. I then took on a, a federal clerkship with Don Ziegler, who was an athlete in his own right back in the day. I think he played – baseball for uh, Dormont High School. He was a left-handed pitcher. He went to uh, uh, Duquesne and then Georgetown Law, I believe. And so Don... I think his son played... Scott was a great uh, hockey player, and he played golf, too. Because I coached Duquesne from 94 to 96. He was a pharmacist, right. So he probably... He was a little bit younger than me. Yeah, that's about right. So anyhow, so Judge Ziegler had me come down one day and... uh, he said, well, lad, you're going to start on Monday, and here's your computer, and there's the restroom. So I, you know, I accepted that position. I mean, it was like an offer that you couldn't refuse, right? Sure. So I would work there, and we had like two or three other attorneys, and I'm still friends with those attorneys from, you know, every day we talk about our kids and maturation process. I think one of them's retired. They did really well for themselves, and another one just changed careers like, like myself, sort of pivoting in midlife. And it's all good stuff because, you know, the, everyone went in different directions. Everybody sort of had their talents nurtured, mentored. We we met the who's who of the legal community. So there were opportunities that we worked hard for to take advantage of. When I left clerking for Judge Ziegler, uh, another gentleman that I have a, a lot of respect for that's passed away, just like Judge Ziegler's passed away, Bob Colville, our district yeah, attorney here sure. in Allegheny <laughs> County. And it was funny because he was a very uh, quiet man. He led by example. He did not micromanage the office. And then I, you know, before you know it, I, I ran into the love of my life, and uh, we couldn't afford raising a family on a district attorney's salary. So I decided to, to go out into the private sector and I started working for a sole practitioner, Carl Priest, and I'm still friends with, with Carl. And I refer business to him uh, routinely. Uh, again, a, a very good mentor in terms of life, not just about you know the skill of being an attorney or the business of being an attorney, but what you have to do to give back to the community and the responsibilities that you have in life to be a good father. He was, he's a great father. I think that's the hardest job that I have. It's the most difficult hat to wear, and I'm okay to be criticized at that. Uh, You know, my wife will let me know that, that I'm not there enough, but I try to do the best I can, and it's always a balancing balancing act. So, yeah, I mean, I I still have ties to Brookline. My mother still lives there. I've been looking after her as as I can. I moved my um, consulting business office into the house to to take, you know, advantage of the opportunity to spend time with her. And then just recently, I came back from Chambersburg, 
where I was a chief deputy district attorney for the Franklin County Prosecutor's Office. And of course, this being an election year, the district attorney needed some help while he was out campaigning so that there was, you know, professionalism and, and adherence to taking care of the cases. I went in there and, and did what I could for the time that I was there. And, and, you know, he did not prevail and he had basically withdrew from the race. So I came back to Pittsburgh and one of my colleagues from the district attorney's office uh, was looking to bring somebody on because they had just lost somebody through like an illness. And so I accepted that just to sort of change gears. That's a civil law firm. So I'm moving from the the public sector on the criminal litigation side to the private sector on, on the civil side. And we do mostly like business disputes, employment disputes, contract disputes. And a lot of it's trial work, and that's sort of what I what I like to do, trial work. Steve? I was going to say, interesting, because, you know, you, you gave up sports for your career in an age where most people are trying to hang on to sports as long as they can, thinking, yeah, I'll get to that, I'll graduate, and I'll go do that. But for now, I, I'm in my window. And I'm just curious, when you when you gave that up, you kind of knew what you wanted to do, and, and you're doing it. Do you ever feel there are times where you lose that passion, or is it like, nope, this is I'm I'm on the right path. I've never never looked back, never blink. Well, I think it's like an evolution. I'm very driven to continue to improve myself to be a better version of myself. You know, when I was playing ball, and I could realistically assess where I was with similarly situated people that may have been drafted, or I had colleagues that I played other baseball teams throughout growing up in Brookline and watching their collegiate careers. And Ed Hartman was a very good influence. And Eddie was drafted by the, the Pittsburgh Pirates. He came out of IUP, which is a Division II school, but at that time they were very prolific in Division II in terms of baseball. And when Eddie, who was sort of from a family of iron workers, and my dad was an iron worker, his brothers would talk to my dad about well, Eddie's not feeling it. You know, he's he's in the pirate organization. He's down at Double A. You know, how much time is he gonna continue to realistically put in there? And and I just knew too from like my father was in minor league baseball, and, and his plight was well, he was behind Willie uh, Mays in a San Francisco New Uh-oh. York New York Giants. So I don't <laughs> I don't think my dad was gonna supplant a you know an iconic Hall of Famer. And you know, he told me about his trials and tribulations in, in minor league. And he wasn't a college graduate. He was a blue-collar worker. I was, I'm was i a white-collar guy. So those sort of influences, I'll tell you another gentleman that had a great impact on me, and he's actually on the nomination this year to be uh, considered for the uh, Pennsylvania Sports Hall of Fame, our Western chapter. His name's Carl Coleman. He used to run the Ozanian Basketball League mm-hmm. in the Cultural Center in the, in the Hill District. And Carl would always pull me aside when we were playing the AAU ball, and he was very – very into education and career. He always felt that if you had to roll the dice, roll the dice on education, not games or sports. Sports can help you learn about life, meet people and have great relationships, but it's short-lived. You can have an injury, you might be displaced, somebody is always gonna be better out there. So those types of things weighed on me when I was a sophomore and you know, I, I, I talked it over with Coach Spear, and he was very supportive. He understood. So it wasn't like I ever felt like I gave up anything that I still had, 
like that passion for it. I mm-hmm. love sports. That's why I'm still involved in the Sports Hall of Fame and in and, and the executive board. I can see myself at some point transitioning to maybe be a sports agent or to get into an organization and and you know whether it's like my colleague uh, Travis Williams over at sure. the Pittsburgh Pirates and he was formerly with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Those types of opportunities are there and I'm not afraid of different challenges or, again, trying to evolve and be, again, a better version of myself. So I don't feel like I have any regrets. Mm-hmm. I'm not driven that way. I'll try to make being Italian, you can probably appreciate this. If they're giving you a half a loaf of bread and you have the choice between no loaf and a half a loaf, you're going to take, take the, the half, half a loaf. loaf. That's right. So I hope I answered the, <laughs> oh, no, I answered you did. the question. But there's a passion that goes into your career that's different than something. Because you made a very good point. Sports are short-lived. Even if you make it, it's still short-lived. Nobody has a 50-year career as a player. They play a couple years. Maybe you get the, the anomaly that somehow has the 10, the 12, the 14-year career, but that's not the norm. Most of those guys are out in three years. The average player is out in a few years. So, you know, even when you make it, you you know, unless you're at the top, you're, you're not going to be there very long. But, again, when, when you pick a career, a career is something that you're – you know, I, I like the fact that you said, you know, you're evolving. You are doing different things. I guess keeps the the passion and the skill sets that you developed as a lawyer, obviously being able to research things, being able to present things, being able to, you know, represent others. It plays into any decision you make in life, regardless of what you want to be. Where, like, you know, like you said, sports are good. They're very important. They're good for teamwork. They teach you the, you know, the hard work, the discipline. You know, being able to shoot a basketball isn't going to help me in the courtroom but maybe the skills I learned on the sport shows me how to work with others. How did sports help you with, with you being an attorney? Well, I think that the competitive nature of sports is something that creates and fosters the mindset, like the attitude. If you don't have the right attitude, you won't have any altitude, regardless of what your endeavor is. And I read a lot, and I read a lot of John Wooden, and John Wooden is like – you know, just tremendous at, like Chuck Knoll, you know, you have to do the fundamental, ordinary things exceptionally or extraordinarily well to to succeed or excel at anything. So having a good fundamental base and, and always trying to go back to those skills and perfect those skills, even in the sense that you will not become perfect. But in the process, like, Coach Lombardi. Would I was say, just going to say you, that you, right. you would reach a standard of excellence. Yeah. So I've always decided to go back and reassess what I've done, how I've done, with whom I've done it with, and okay, well, if I have to go back and do that again, how would I change that to make it better? Work with different people, work in a different way. So I'm competing not so much against. You know, like the attorneys in the field of criminal defense, whether it's uh, Phil DeLascent or David Schrager or Frank Walker, I respect and admire those professionals. But I'm trying to just be the best that I can be with how I have to handle a particular case, how I have to treat a particular client, and looking at, you know, everything sort of open. Um, I don't have a preconceived notion of what may or may not work or what might may or may not be in the best interest of that particular client so i really only promise that i will do the best that i can i cannot guarantee results sure and sort of things that my father-in-law had instilled in me when i had the relationship with him and he's now passed he had uh, skill sets unbeknownst to me at the time but then 
through later learning very similar in terms of the path that he took in the diverse range of skill sets as a, an attorney. He was a former like solicitor. He worked for the county. I worked for the county. He was in the office of the attorney general, but he was on the civil side. I was in the office of attorney general on the criminal side. He aspired to public service in an elected office, and he chose uh, being a state senator and then ultimately United States congressman. On the other hand, he had always regretted that he didn't have the opportunity to become a judge. And he saw that in me, that my path was for a judicial type of a position. But, you know, the contingency or the fallback or falling forward, if you will, he said, well, you want to use your talents and skills to still be of service, of in the service of others. So that's when, when it fell short for me, and, and I learned from that lesson. I don't look at it as a defeat or a loss but a lesson, I carried those skill sets, those transferable uh, experiences, and I put it together in a package that I now consult. And so when I bring that level of advocacy and problem solving and team building, public speaking, crisis communication, strategic development, onboarding, uh, government affairs, regulatory compliance, I'm using those 30 years of legal experience in and out of the courtrooms to facilitate positive win-win situations for clients. Those clients could be in the nonprofit sector, they could be a startup business, they could be a former athlete that wants to take on a training facility and then develop that type of a business. It could be somebody that's a mom and pop that's now thinking about giving it to their children or trying to put it out there on the market to sell and maybe get a residual uh, consulting gig you know until they are totally you know devoid of of the business so the, the last two years i've been working pretty much around the clock all, all the time and on the weekends and then in my spare time i i'm a pro bono uh, or indigent defense conflict counsel for several counties I give time to the boards that I'm on. Apart from the, the Sports Hall of Fame board, I, I was a, I'm on the board of Brookline Teen Outreach, so we're trying to have an impact with kids in the community, steering them into either trades or to collegiate careers where they'll have an actual job at the end of the day and not just some student debt. I mentor some of the law students from Duquesne University. I'm very proud to say that they all passed the bar and they're looking forward to getting sworn in and finding uh, employment. I was on the board up at Duquesne, but I've stepped away from from that responsibility. And then the final um, activities that I'm involved in are sports. Again, my my youngest is a baseball player at South Fayette. He's looking forward for his senior year. I think I explained to you last year he tore his ACL and uh, he missed that whole season. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm very blessed. I've had a great run. I remember Jerry Johnson, our former United States attorney for the Western District, and I think he's now passed. But anyhow, he had asked me at the bench bar like 30 years ago, where do you see yourself in 20 years? I go, Jerry. That was going to be one of my questions. I'm just like, I'm just like worried about tomorrow. I go, if I love doing what I'm doing, it's really not like work. I'd still want to do it. So like every five to 10 years, I come back to that same question that Jerry asked me, well, where do I see myself in the next 20 years? Well, I'm 55, so I'm not retiring anytime soon. I love doing what I'm doing. Will I continue to do the things that I do? Probably not. I mean, I think I'm looking for that opportunity where I can be in a managerial or ownership type of a role or at least impact some policy. And again, if I decided not to be in the political realm but to effectuate positive change in an apolitical way. 
and that's for all the people. Right. So you're not really looking at it from, was this person a Democrat or Republican? I mean, we just went through that sure. hellacious election uh, from last well, week. Which right? one? Oh, that one. They, they were terrible. <laughs> and, um, you know, you, you have some very good people that when they look at what those folks who are good people had to go through, who wants to do that? Right. At what cost? You know, everything you said, two quotes come to mind. One of them was Mario Andretti's, if you think you have everything under control, you're not going fast enough. And Dan Marino's, you can do more, you can always do more. People say, like you said when you came in here, I wear a lot of hats. I, 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 don't know, I think I can do more, and there's more that I want to do. It sounds like that you, you obviously have done a lot, but there's more that you want to do. And I think that's good. That's living. What, like you said about, I said about 20 years from now. But do you have a game plan of things that you do want to kind of shoot for? Well, I, I want to see my uh, boys get a good foundation like my parents gave me. want to be supportive of them, um, very supportive of the students that I mentor. I want to see them have great careers. I want to be of service to them. I really would like to start getting beyond the surface of what I started in terms of this vision for a consulting company. It could have cross applications. Um, it could become its own business in and of itself, like taking on a business, any of the things that I've been able to problem solve for clients, whether they were architectural or design people, whether they were, uh, again, another nonprofit, could be just an, an entrepreneurial individual that has a lot of different ideas. There are some industry sectors right now, I think, that are struggling more so than others, and I'm very cautious to advise my clients to sort of really think about if they want to get into certain businesses. It's very difficult right now, I think, for the hospitality industry. Mm. It's hard to find workers. Those family members that created those little bars or mom and pops spend an inordinate amount of time there. And, and you think about how the prices have gone up and the customers are going down in terms of the disposable incomes of families. We don't have that. Mm -hmm. People have to make difficult decisions right at the grocery store. They have to make difficult decisions on all life facets. I mean, I'm going through my own uh, vetting of, of insurance for malpractice, for health care, uh, for car insurance. I mean, anywhere you can save uh, the same principles and advice that I'd give to my clients, I have to walk the walk. So I want to do those things myself. Was that advice given to you growing up, being an sure. Italian? That's what we were sure. pounded, save your money, save everybody, sure. get the best deals. And yeah. it's never enough, but it's better than nothing, no, right? Yeah. <laughs> No, I do want to kind of chime in on a couple of things because I, I, I do think over the last few decades, I'm in my 50s too, election campaigns were always tough. You know, they were always nasty, but there was there was at least a, a modicum of, 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 there were certain lines you didn't cross. And I think that's all gone. And I think that now it's a question of people are voting for who they hate least. And I think the problem with that is, is it doesn't solve the day-to-day -day problems because I'm not voting to solve problems. I'm solving a I hate you more than I hate that person, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna vote for them because I don't like you. And, and to your point, people are being smeared that you're right. Is this the best this country has? I don't think it is. But for whatever reason, something is scaring people that are good people saying, ah, I'm not putting up with that. I'm there's no way I'm putting my head out there. And you almost think, well the people running must be crazy then because why would you want to stick your head out in this day and age? Because if you say one thing wrong where you're you're done, but one thing I, I I do like oh is that you seem to have a good um you know a good heart and you're trying to help others and you know I'll be very blunt that's not necessarily a stereotypical trait of a lawyer, but uh, you know obviously something in you says you know what I'm I'm making it a point 
to help others. I, it's easy to say I got that from my family, but it's more than that. What, what drives you to help people? Is it as simple as my family, or is there more to it? Is it your faith? Is it my, everything? My, my faith uh, guides me. I don't sort of wear that on my sleeve, but I did have a, a former hat where I was with the Sarah Club uh, Diocese of Pittsburgh, an organization that promotes and facilitates vocations and supports the seminarians and the priests. And it's at a, a very difficult crossroads itself because as a former prosecutor of child sexual abuse crimes, I prayed on the opportunity that when the bishop said, well, we need somebody to help us, would you consider it? And Jack Warwick, who was, again, a great Duquesne alumni, he was a CPA, he was the president at the time, and him and his wife approached me. They were very friendly with my brother-in-law at the time and my sister-in-law through other sort of Duquesne club or high society, and that's not me. I'm I'm not into the country club scene, and even if I had those resources, I, I probably wouldn't be there. I'm grounded. I mean, I, I drive a Ford. I drive American cars. I, I wear nice suits, but they have to last a long time. This one is only about two years, but I have some that I remind myself, well, I remember when I graduated law school and I bought that suit. That was like 30-some years ago. So you you got to understand value when you're establishing price for things. And you know the time that I spent with the Sarens, to listen to some very true priests that were instrumental in keeping me grounded in my faith with with God and it's a prayer it's a, it's a communication it's a dialogue so every day i have a feeling that he's calling me and protecting me as i go into the situations give you an example many people told me not to do certain things personally or professionally not to go into certain communities or neighborhoods for whatever reason. Could have been bias, could have been fear, could have been lack of understanding. It could have just been simple arrogance or ignorance. Well, that's not me. So when somebody tells me, well, you can't do something, or somebody tells me that I shouldn't do something or I shouldn't go somewhere, I was compelled to go there to listen and to find common ground and to see what is going on in let's say Marshall Shadeland or uh, Lincoln Lemington or, or Glassport or Portview, all the way up to Pine Richland or McCandless or out here to Kennedy and, and Robinson. So you find that sports is a great tie-in yep. to uh, the relationships. And people remembered when I played uh, basketball or baseball. And then they remembered, well, oh, yeah, that guy was in the district attorney's office. Or I remember when he was at the magistrates from, like, Leedsteel all the way to Terenum or from Wilkinsburg to uh, the West End. So those, those bonds and relationships, I had a certain credibility that I could help them and that I was honored to be able to be in a position to help them. And so, as you'll notice, we're in this conversation, this forum, or I've never mentioned financial gain or any of that. I feel that if you do the work that's required and you do it in a, a very competent, capable manner, the financial rewards or compensation will follow. And it always has. I've been in business successfully in various forms for, for nearly 30 years now. It'll be 30 years on January 11th. Uh, nine, or, yeah, 1994, I was admitted. So 2024, January 11th, will be my 30th year. I um, had the occasion recently to get a compliment from a father that I grew up with. He had had some issues with his daughter. We did an intervention, and 
she had legal problems as well and and we got those straightened out and when i came back he just texted me and said i really appreciate you my daughter's alive she's thriving she's a whole different person now because of the situation that I was able to help her, which I'm very proud of. And, and my colleague on my consulting side, how I met him some 20 some years ago, he says the same thing and probably too kind or too, you know, I have to be somewhat modest that he credits me with saving his son's life. And his son was a teenager that had some undiagnosed uh, dis disabilities or needs and uh, found himself in the juvenile system and I was able to go in there and advocate you know a pathway for him to avoid having a delinquency adjudication and then get the help that he needed and he now because he now knows what his situation is he's on proper medication and, and proper therapy and he's a, a very productive uh, adult law-abiding tax-paying so you know, when you talk about coincidences, serendipity, uh, you know, blind fate, I don't know that any of those things don't apply, and I don't know how much those things do apply, but I do know that by me being true to myself and always being honest and hardworking, I was able to do those things that change the trajectory of a life. So to me, my career has already been self-fulfilled. I've exceeded any of the expectations apart from any of the titles or responsibilities I've had or how much income I made, I feel that that made it all worthwhile to, to persevere through, you know, a humble upbringing, blue collar, middle class, um, treating people the way you'd want to be treated, treat the janitor like you treat the CEO. All of these things are what I think does make people of ordinary circumstance great. I mean, that's greatness. You've been very successful. How have you dealt with tough times in life, be it professionally or personally? Well, everything we do, uh, Claudia, is on trial every day. So, I mean, we're in a very, what have you done for me lately? Um, you're only as good as your last time out. There are no guarantees. Somebody could say, you know what, that was a really well thought out argument uh, denied. <laughs> you're gonna have to do better the next time. So those are all lessons. So even when you succeed or achieve your objective, what I found to be telling for me is that I believe that I've had greater fortitude in the things that I wasn't able to achieve. And I learned more from those experiences. Sure. And it's continued to ground me because when you have nothing, you are very dangerous. And when you have too much, you're very dangerous. But if you let yourself think about those parameters, in a way that's narcissistic or self-serving, then you really got troubles. And our profession does have troubles because people, unfortunately, have demons. They do not think of others before themselves. We probably have, at this point, so many attorneys, and a lot of the attorneys, unfortunately, find themselves in disciplinary uh, actions where they could be reprimanded, they could be suspended, they could even be disbarred. They could have their licenses revoked. And it's unfortunate because when I started, you know, doing this like 30-some years ago, it wasn't the way that it is now. And there were very few people back then that were admitted to the bar that had the types of issues and problems to the extent where 
our own licensing body has to discipline them. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly there were still people that had issues with substance abuse or alcohol or depression, but not to the effect where they actually were losing their licenses. Those people were getting the help. They were being mentored or there was a preceptor that was overseeing so that things weren't happening in an adverse way to clients that were losing monies, having their assets commingled, uh, being told that they were doing something and then all of a sudden now some fraudulent court order that purports to be a decision that's favorable to the client. Well, and then you look at the real court record and it's the total opposite. Mm-hmm. Like the attorney didn't do anything. They right. took the fee and they ran with it. They went to the casino or they went to the Bahamas. It's, it's very tough because if you don't do the right things for the right reason, anything in our society can go uh, to hell in a handbasket. Well, you know, it's, again, it's funny you say that because that's a reflection of morals on society. And as society has them, it's going to seep into all, you know, careers. People act as if, oh, this, this career is noble and that career is not noble. It's like it can be as good or as bad as it's a reflection of the people that are in that career. But you've mentioned, you know, you worked with a lot of folks, but you also do consulting. What is it that they're coming to you when you're consulting them? Is it professional? Is it personal? Is it both what is it you're bringing that they're coming to you for? Most of it's professional. I would say the internal investigation part of the process, when they have a, a link or an inkling that something's not working right, I go in and if I need to bring in a particular collaborator, I do that. But I find that sometimes they're in their own way. Sometimes they're not being accountable to themselves they have cut corners, rationalized things that are not normal or acceptable. There's no plan. There's no discipline. There's no learning from the bad experiences. So there's a, a culmination where then they're underfunded. They then become acting in an um, unacceptable manner that puts their livelihood at risk where then law enforcement might be closing in on them if they're a contractor and they can't meet their obligations to fulfill the the contracts in in a timely manner. Those types of situations are are problematic and there are a lot of people that are just embarrassed to even ask for the help. I mean there's sometimes where we've come away from well we have to help this person and we know they can't pay us but it's the right thing to do because they left these other people these small businesses or these families high and dry and that's something that sometimes you can't put a price tag on making something right for somebody again like you know mr mcardle i'm sure he had a contingency fee when he helped my mom's family out but i think he did it because it was the right thing to do and he got the satisfaction of seeing you know my mom came back and and worked for him he got to know that i became an attorney Mm -hmm. and so that's playing it forward, right. yeah, and that's what I want to do. I mean, uh, you know, talking about getting back into the sports aspect of it, can you think of today any sporting event where the athletes make a play that they're trained and supposed to make and get right back into the huddle or go right back into their position without some sort of self-attention-grabbing behavior it's to the point where it's ridiculous and most of them you know when you're high school students eh, college students you should know better and clearly i mean we saw some very flagrant uh circumstances just over the weekend with professional football where Mm -hmm. people were fighting and and hitting coaches i mean who would do that 
I mean, pushing referees. Yeah, yeah it's a I different mean, time. And, and nobody's sure. stepping in and saying, no. wait a second, See, this is a problem. privilege. This that's is a privilege yeah. for you to play here. You're not guaranteed this spot. You know, you know, my coach used to say, well, I'm the coach. This is a dictatorship. If you don't like it, you know, this is not a democracy. It all goes to the old Italian like Bobby saying, Knight. Joe, write this down. Well, the fish thinks from the head. If it's bad up top, it trickles down. I know if one of my players would have done something like that, I'd have lost it. Okay, I'd have corrected it real quick in a hurry. But um, we're going to take a quick break. If you enjoy this interview, you're going to enjoy many of our other interviews on Talking Business and Life with Claudio and Steve. Go to crsmmedia.com. We've had such great guesses uh, today, Bill Kai, but Jerry Cooney, the boxing legend. We have some other boxing legends coming on. David Diaz, former WBC lightweight champion, and one of my best friends, Donnie Lalonde, former WBC light heavyweight champ, will be on. They've both been very successful in the ring and out, so make sure you tune into those and our show Italian Impact Weekly. You can listen to that show on www.italianimpactweekly.com. We've had such great guests as Mario Andretti, Vince Ferragamo, uh, Vince Papali, Chris Corciani. It was on a few weeks ago. So uh, great guests who've done well in their respective sport and again in business and in life. So make sure you tune into those shows and uh, we'll be right back with Bill Kai. Okay, Bill, finally, the Western PA Sports Hall of Fame. Tell us uh, your role there and what's going on with that. About eight years ago, my father and some of the other board members asked me to come on board and to see if I could help them with becoming a more vibrant, a more inclusive organization. So then I started going to attend some of the other chapter events. It's pretty much situate across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and each more or less county and there's 30 some give or take chapters and the mission of the organization as a whole one of the chapters is to recognize uh, exceptional achievements in sports it could be through personalities it could be administrators coaches primarily if you look at our website Pennsylvania Sports Hall of Fame Western Chapter you'll see it's literally a who's who of, of athletes from like Roberto Clemente uh, Chuck Knoll, all the way to uh, you know Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, Craig Patrick was a recent uh, inductee. Eddie Johnston. Um, so you know my generation, but also the past generations. Uh, people uh, going far back to uh, the early days of the Pittsburgh Pirates, like Danny Murtaugh and Bob Del Greco. Just yeah. he he ended up going into the state. So. I started recruiting and team building some of the members of the board as some of the other members aged out or, or got ill or, or passed away. And we have roughly 15 on our executive board, and I'm now starting to accumulate some talent for what's called our advisory board. The advisory board concept, sort of like in other nonprofits, is a supplement, a support group. It's a way to onboard and educate people that may not want to put an initial full-time commitment into the executive board or people that want to then pull back from the executive board duties and go on to the advisory board. So when we talk about membership of this organization, you can join for as little as $10. And we put on an event, usually in the spring, where we honor somewhere between 10 or 12 individuals in various uh, sports uh, categories, pro, scholastic, amateur, collegiate, and then personalities or administrators. And so this year, uh, our event's going to be held on April 27th at the Sheridan 
Pittsburgh Station Square. It'll start around 5 p.m. We'll have individuals that have yet to be determined. Again, it'll be about 8 or 12. We also give an award as a, a nonprofit. We have an endowment from Bill Campbell, who was a, a very gracious sports uh, person from the Steel Valley area in western Pennsylvania, had success in Silicon Valley as a businessman in, in software and computers, and he's part of like two or three other Campbell family members that have been inducted. So he's created what's called the Campbell Award, and we've given that award to people like Sean Gibson, uh, Charlie Batch, Kent Colvey, and um, Steve Blass accepted for the Pittsburgh Pirates Foundation. <clears throat> We then created another award studying sort of how we continue to improve as an organization and set ourselves and distinguish ourselves from other sports hall of fames, and it's called the Daryl Hess Award. And the Daryl Hess Award right now does not have a financial perk or benefit, but it's a special recognition for some individuals that may not have had that elite uh, body of work, but still nonetheless should be considered for other valid and humanitarian reasons in endeavoring in sports. And we've had a few people win that that have been sort of non-traditional people in sports. Like, you know, it could be a, a sportscaster, it could be an official. But so you, you get the ballot once the executive board vets uh, the nominees, and then they call that with there's roughly about 600 voting members, give or take, in the Western chapter. So we'll be sending out ballots shortly and tabulating them around Christmas. And then typically the first of the year, we announce who the recipients and the inductees are and who, who's going to be the Campbell Awardee and the Hess Award. And we'll have that event, like I said, at Station Square on April 27th. It's usually a Saturday, and it usually goes two to three hours. And, you know, it's it's just... That organization, not just because my father was inducted or my father was on the executive board, then the advisory board when he had some health issues, I just think that it's a way to give back. And we're still trying to redefine what the mission is now compared to what it was. I'll give you another example of something I strategically did and, and got the approval of the rest of the board. I mean, the ideas that I come up with, the suggestions, they're only that. I don't need it to be my way or my, you know, it's the discussion. It's sort of a process. And I want them to either have a consensus or maybe they can improve upon the idea and then the ultimate outcome is even better, which is a win-win. So, you know, bringing in females, women in sports, bringing in minorities, African-Americans, people with disabilities, people in the LGTB community to make it a more robust organization and then bringing in younger people. I mean, I'm 55, but I recruited uh, two individuals that are in their 30s or, or late 20s. I feel that that's something that every organization has to have a good chemistry and a succession plan. So going back and revisiting the constitutional bylaws and how the organization is structured, learning from and taking back what the other chapters are doing or not doing, mm -hmm. what their focus is. I've basically come up with four things that we need to do to improve, both you know individually or, or collectively as an organization. We need to have more robust fundraising. Mm -hmm. Nonprofits cannot succeed <laughs> without funds. That's right. It's just like a business. Nothing can. Right. Second, we've got to continue to attract and team build a more diverse and robust skill set of people that are worthy of being on the board and making responsible decisions as stewards for the members. 
three is we we got to go back to the members and that's what it's all about no members no organization we need to have a value proposition to connect them to coming to the events or creating other opportunities in the community to have the exposure of what is it that this organization does besides honoring people in sports so the discussion started just this past month with the state that well, we need to champion something on a statewide basis where we can give some type of a stipend or fund or award so that we're giving back as a statewide organization. So we want to we tie in that we're uniform, we're consistent, and we're in the community. So we're not just some average run-of-the-mill you know, elite you know, standoffish type organization. We want to embrace the people. We want to be for the people. We want to solve problems and help the people. Mm -hmm. So the fourth and final thing that I think is an organization that we're lacking is, in fact, the succession plan. Many of these people are dying on the board, and, and then there's nobody else there to pick up where they left off. And we need to be more proactive about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you imagine any business losing somebody and then there was no plan of, well, who's going to take this right. over? Yeah. I mean, some of the private clients that I have, the kids don't want the business that their parents work so hard for. Nobody asked them. It was just like, well, well you got to communicate. Right. So a lot of these problems and how we can improve pretty much in any facet, which, again, sports taught you how to communicate. What did you hear in the post-game interviews with the Steelers? Man, when we communicate, we're actually even better. Sure. So I think communication – learning, understanding each other, trying to continue to stay focused and disciplined and accountable to a plan, that's what any organization needs. And we're seeing where, whether it's government or outside of government, we're seeing it at all time where people are not able to do those things. Yeah. They're not able to do what Chuck Knoll said, the ordinary things in an extraordinary manner. Right. Right. Steve, any final comments? Uh, no, but again, I do want to thank you for your time. This was kind of enlightening. Uh, you know, we, we've had a couple of lawyers on and a judge now. And, yeah, right. uh, and uh, it's always fun just because you th it's a very, it's diverse, more diverse career field than people think it is. You know, as a lawyer, you know, you're, they're stereotypical, you know, beliefs of what they do. And then kind of listening to you and your background, um, it was just nice. It was a pleasure to meet you, and I appreciate your time today. Tom Liturgy and Smoke and Jim Frazier say a lot of good things about you, and that was finally good to meet you. I know we communicated for several months yeah, now yeah, on yeah. tech, so it was good to Well, good to persistence pays off, That's and right. I hope this was a great product. It I mean, was. I enjoyed myself, and I'm very good. appreciative of the opportunity to be here with you guys. Thank you thank for you. being on. You were great. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. Well, we hope you enjoyed the interview as much as we did. Continue to tune in on crsmmedia.com for Talking Business and Life with Claudio and Steve. And don't forget about Italian Impact Weekly on italianimpactweekly.com. And as always, thank you, Mom and Pop. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Talking Business and Life with Claudio Relsano and Steve Mancini. Tune in next week for more impactful business and life experiences with Claudio and Steve.